So I've heard about this woman. And let's just say that her name's Susie. Now, I don't know what color her hair was, but I do know that she was in deep financial trouble. So, one day, she got down on her knees and prayed, Dear God, please, I really need to win the lottery. If I don't, I'm going to lose my car. But she didn't win the lottery. The next day, she prayed again. God, I really, really need your help. If I don't win the lottery, I'm going to lose my car and my house. But she didn't win again. The next day, she prayed the same prayer and said, God, I really, really need your help. If I don't win the lottery, not only am I going to lose my car and my house, but everything that I own. And this time, God responded. He said, Susie, I hear your prayers, but you're going to have to work with me a little bit and at least buy a lottery ticket. Good morning. Good morning. You guys hear me all right? Yeah? Okay. When I first told Bill that I would like to preach today, I believe that his exact reaction was, oh boy. And it was surrounded by that very uneasy laughter, and you could tell his voice had some trepidation in it. You see, when I was 19 years old, Bill was the youth pastor at First Baptist Church, which is in Highland. That's where I went. And at one point, uh, Bill was in charge of putting together a youth Sunday service. Now, this is something similar to what we've seen done here at Family Bible, where the youth of the church puts together basically an entire worship service. So we were in charge of doing the greeting, we were um, performing the music, put together a skit, we, uh, we collected the tithings, we brought the children's message, and then the youth pastor was to preach. That is, unless any of the youth felt led to preach. So as it turns out, God had kind of been working on my heart long before this and um, kind of put it on me to preach at one point. So when Bill found out about this calling, he was more than willing to be happy and let me share my thoughts. Just a word to the wise here. If you ever share anything with Bill, be careful because you're almost bound to be doing more for the glory of God than you thought. So I thought I had a lot of time to prepare for this. I had a few weeks at least. And like I said, I'd, I've been working on this for a while beforehand. So, so I, I should be all right. So um, Fast forward, I guess, to the night before the Youth Sunday program when I actually started working on the message. I can remember hanging out in my parents' basement thinking, I'm going to be able to handle this no problem whatsoever. Now, that last statement should go ahead and be considered as a foreshadowing to the train wreck of events that was actually about to take place. So I'm in my parents' basement and I'm preparing for my message and my most crucial preparation tactic is to do... Um, make sure that every single remedial and insignificant task surrounding me is complete first. So as I cleaned the already clean basement, showered for the second time that day, and then refilled my stomach with some food, I thought, all right, Chris, it's, it's time to get down. Let's, let's start putting an outline together. Now, with less than 12 hours to go, for some reason, my immediate thinking was, I'm going to pop in a film and and see what I can get here, see if I can get some creative juices flowing. Now, that's not to say I just popped in Dumb and Dumber and then went at it. I actually did put a movie then that had some relevance. Bruce Almighty, some of you have heard? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a nice little flick. So uh, for the remainder of the night, I pieced together what I thought would at least be a decent sermon for the uh, following morning. You guys remember Bill's oh boy comment at the beginning? Yeah. 
So tomorrow morning, um, I'm at church, and I'm crunching as best as I can, kind of like I did this morning. Most of you saw me. And uh, when I got up in front of that church, it was hectic. I just had this rush of emotions come over me, and everything that I wanted to say, I felt like I just had to throw it out on the table. Everything that was on my heart and on my mind. There was no flow. There couldn't have been. I was everywhere, literally. <laughs> I, uh, I think I remember at one point leaving the entire congregation in the room as I left and went out into the fellowship hall. I showed about three clips of Bruce Almighty, which, by the way, was a great time filler. And I think at the end of the message, I can kind of remember standing up on a chair in front of the church reciting the Lord's Prayer. It was undoubtedly a pretty crazy service. But here's the kicker. At the end of my message, I did as we always did, to where I ask if for those that feel led to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior to come forward as an outward motion to an inward response. Now, First Baptist is a lot like Family Bible in many ways. Every week, on a given week, there's 80-plus regular attendees with some few new or at least irregular attendees coming as well. And every week, we would ask those who felt led to accept Christ to come forward. Some weeks, one or maybe two people would come forward. Well, on this particular week, we had the most people come forward to accept Christ that I've ever seen in my life. Now, that's not to say anything about me. It's just more to say how crazy it was. And I can't tell you how many people that there were. Not because I, didn't able, I wasn't able to count. It's just because I kind of blacked out during the whole thing. But at this point, I kind of came too. But here's the thing. My mom was actually one of those that came forward. She, uh, she rededicated her life that day to her Lord and Savior, and still today remains a top ten moment of my life. <clears throat> um, it, it was just crazy for me to see someone that you look up to, that you're, you spend all your time with, that you see in that perfect light, basically admitting imperfection and coming forward to rededicate their life in front of all those people that she's known forever, and more than that, in front of her family that, like I said, looks at her in that perfect light. So here's my point of the story. It doesn't really matter how you handle a situation as long as you have him with you, because even he can turn a 30-minute train wreck into an event that will save lives for eternity. So, like I said, I'm a little nervous, and, and um, I have my cheat sheets here today, and that's not to say that uh, that's not the most obvious thing you've seen so far, but... With all that said, I would like to make a, a mention that I did put my message together, start putting it together, three weeks ago this time, instead of the night before. And I trusted in God a lot more this time. I trusted Him probably so much that I kind of stopped my preparation three weeks ago as well and didn't pick it up until yesterday morning. So here we go. Now, uh, I'm going to get in the Word today, but before we do that, I ask that will you will all uh, bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, I pray that as we open your word today that we will be able to dive in as known sinners asking for forgiveness. I pray that we will be as worshipers expressing praise, as servants accepting your will, as sheep seeking guidance, and as disciples asking for truth. I ask for wisdom and understanding of the word as well as the ability to, to apply it to our lives. Father God, I ask that you will use this message to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to those that are lost. It's in your son's holy name we pray. Amen. 
If you will, uh, turn in your Bibles to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And while you're doing that, uh, just to give you a little bit of a backdrop on 1 Corinthians, uh, this is one of the 13 epistles that was written by the Apostle Paul. The epistles are just written letters that he sent out to the early churches and believers. So, who was Paul? Not a rhetorical question. Somebody tell me, who was Paul? Brandon. <laughs> That's okay. Somebody else? Anybody know who Paul was? Let me tell you a little bit about Paul. Paul, who was known prior as Saul of Tarsus, was originally uh, a Jew, but when he came across the resurrected Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, he converted to Christianity. Now, Paul was, uh, he spent most of his life doing missionary work. He spent three long missionary trips um, journeying throughout the Roman Empire. And that's where he kind of just planted a lot of churches. He spread the gospel and he um, sent encouragement and strength to those early Christians that he came across. Of the New Testament, there are 27 books and Paul is credited for writing uh, 13 of those, so almost half. While he was proud of his Jewish heritage, Paul sent the gospel, or saw the gospel was for Gentiles as well. He was martyred for his faith in Christ by the Romans around 65 AD, which is about 10 years after he wrote 1 Corinthians. Paul had a brilliant mind. He was, he was um, able to debate with the most educated scholars of his time, and he had a wonderful knowledge of philosophy and religion. The most educated scholars of his day <clears throat> knew that his clear and understandable explanation of the gospel is what could sound, send our foundation of theology today. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. Follow with me, if you will. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is this wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is this philosopher of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, for since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to those who save, <clears throat> for those to believe. Jesus demands miraculous, or Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were no, of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. 
As most of you know, uh, my wife Jessica and I have taken over the youth here at Family Bible. And lately at Krabby, um, we've kind of gotten into a practice of after you read a scripture, we'll break it down. We'll have the youth uh, tell us what we just read, whether it's a sentence or a, um, I mean a verse or a paragraph or an entire passage. So today, I think I'm going to ask if Drew will come up and tell us exactly what I just read. No? Okay. I'll take care of this one, but you're going to owe me on Wednesday. Um, okay, so, so in this sentence, um, or in this passage, we've got Paul who's writing to the Corinth church. Now, the Corinth church is a church in which Paul established, so we've got to keep that in mind. And right now, they're floundering. There's a struggle. There's a division in the church. Its members are struggling to sort out their new faith while living in a city that's being overtaken by corruption and idolatry. But Paul writes that we're called to do a holy living so the church can effectively minister to one another as well to non-believers outside of the church. So like I said, there's many discrepancies within the church and there's division over leadership. Some follow the teachings of Paul, others follow the teachings of Apollos, and some Cephas. The great divide was spun from intellectual pride. There's a lot of people that just think they know what they're talking about, and they just want to be right. So, I don't know if this makes sense for you, but it's very familiar in my life. I've run into multiple occasions where I feel like I've come across people that just want to debate little things, small details. And it's not just non-believers, it's Christians of other denominations most of the time. And I call it small details or practices because I feel that in Christ and believing in uh, having the faith in Jesus Christ alone, we can be saved. That's not to say small practice or the practices are actually small, but as Christians, we're all on the same team. Paul urged the Corinthians to focus on Christ and not his messengers. Now, when I'm reading scripture, I like to put myself inside the scene. Sometimes when I'm reading, and not just the Bible, when I'm reading any book, it kind of comes off as like a fairy tale. And that's not the case here at all. So I'm just going to kind of set the scenario here. We're going to say that the church of Corinth is family Bible. Now, you can kind of read this in the verses leading up to our scripture today, which is verses 10 through 17. But um, let's say half of you in this room are following Bill. You think everything that Bill says, his teachings are 100% true. And while the other half says, you know what, Dan's teachings are actually true, and they differ from Bill's. And then there's that one crazy guy in back who says, actually, Chris is right. So we've got a divided church here. Now, Paul says we should not be following humans. We should put our faith in Jesus and follow Christ. We shouldn't be following Bill or Lance, and definitely not Chris, because it's not something that they're going to know exactly what they're talking about every single time. We should be following Christ. The church is Christ's body where God's spirit dwells. If there is disunity, then it ceases to work and grow in love with Jesus Christ as the head. Living in Highland, you come a lot across a lot of people that, um, all right, I'll put it gently. Living in Highland, it just, it kind of kills me whenever I hear someone say that they are wrong because they're Catholic or they're Lutheran or, or whatever it may be. They're from Family Bible. And 
some of you know my story and know that I've been on the receiving end of that. And, and that's what kills me because I feel that we are all Christians and we do follow the same God. And while I likely too have debated small practices, I've always maintained the belief that both Protestants and Catholics are just that. They're all Christians in the end. Now, people like to think they have all the answers, but let's read verse 25 again. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. The weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. And then the next verse. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Does this relate to anyone? at all? I know it does in my life. I was saved at the age of 11, and I'm not going to stand in front of you today and say that I was wise at that age by any means, in any category, outside of maybe having the ability to make a wide variety of fart noises. And I'm not going to say that my dad was king either, at least not to my knowledge. But I think we have to recognize that God is the one who is in control. Take a look at this clip. No, it's not! In other news, fighting erupted in the Gaza Strip today as Israelis and Palestinians... Bruce! What? We've got a situation here. They're rioting right outside the station. Look, the whole town is going crazy. Come on, Bruce. Say something. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this just in. Possibly the biggest breaking news story this town has ever seen. And I gotta go. Sorry, Jack. Susan, it's all yours. as easy as it looks, is it, son? This God business. They're all out of control. It's mayhem. I, I don't know what to do. Well, you're right on time. Seven o'clock. Seventh at seven. 
Alrighty then. There we are. It's good. It's good. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing. No matter how filthy something gets, you can always clean it right up. There were so many. I just gave them all what they wanted. Yeah. But since when does anyone have a clue about what they want? So what do I do? Parting your soup is not a miracle, Bruce. It's a magic trick. A single mom who's working two jobs and still finds time to take her kid to soccer practice, that's a miracle. A teenager who says no to drugs and yes to an education, that's a miracle. People want me to do everything for them, and what they don't realize is they have the power. You want to see a miracle, son? Be the miracle. Wait, are you leaving? Yeah, I figure you can handle things now. But what if I need you? What if I have questions? <laughs> That's your problem, Bruce. That's everybody's problem. You keep looking up. How many of you guys have seen Bruce Almighty? All right. How many of you guys have seen a clip of Bruce Almighty? All right. <laughs> now, in that clip, Bruce had been given God's powers. Uh, not over the entire world, just over a few blocks in Buffalo, New York. And as you kind of saw there at the beginning, things were starting to get to his head and spiraling, spiraling out of control pretty quick. As he mentioned, he said, I don't, I don't even know what to do. He realized that he needed help from God, and God to take control of his life. But he also needed to realize that he had the power as well. It's kind of like in Nathan's joke this morning, Susie needed God's help too, but she needed to meet him halfway. And in my life, I can trust in God, but that doesn't mean that I can just sit out and, and watch what he does. I still need to participate in my life. So I'm going to present a challenge to everyone here today, if you'll accept it. Our youth just got back from uh, junior camp at Quiver River. It was a great time, right? Right? Spent a whole week devoting your life to Christ. And for many of them, it'll probably be a week that they'll never forget for the rest of their lives. So my challenge, can you go one week without sin? I know, it sounds pretty crazy. It's a whole week without sin. It's a long time, and it is. And you might say, uh, what's the deal with youth pastor or pastors in general getting up and presenting challenges in front of people? Well, that's what happens. Um, for this challenge, I want to present that we're all sinners. So why can't we just give up sin for a year or a month? In my case, I probably can't. But a week? I don't know. A day? Maybe. An hour? An hour. I think I can do an hour. If I can do an hour, why not two hours? If I can do two, why not three? Why not one more? Why can't I be slow to speak or slow to judge? Why can't I give up an addiction for a week? Why not? Why can't I sit back and actually follow Jesus for the first time in my life? You want to see a miracle? 
be the miracle. Be intentional for one week and see what it does to your life. That's challenge number one. Challenge number two. A couple weeks ago, Bill presented up here um, that hopefully soon we'll be putting together a uh, worship service where we can present and share our testimonies together. I'm not sure when this event is about to take place, but over the next three or four weeks or however long it's going to take, prepare your testimony. I don't mean go home, take a shower, do the dishes, and find a relatable movie clip to your story. I mean prepare your testimony. Build it daily. Because it's not over. Every day is another chance to go closer to knowing God. It's not over until it's over. Like our friend Paul said, 2 Timothy 4.7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Please pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this wonderful day and for the opportunities that you presented in front of us. I pray that the craziness of our lives, that we are able to stop putting ourselves first and we will learn to follow you more closely. We have fallen from grace, but we know that your forgiveness is attainable. You have equipped us to do what is right, and we all have to do our part and just participate. Father, today we pray for those that weren't able to be with us, and we ask that you will watch over them and keep them safe and in good health. And we ask that you will watch over us in all that we do this week. It's in your Son's holy name that we pray. Amen. Once a month at Family Bible, <clears throat> we come together. I'm sorry. Is she okay back there? Hold on, guys. that everything's okay. We've got a few people helping back there, and I think we've got help on the way as well. Um, I know there's distraction behind us, but that's... um, Let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we come to you in prayer for what's happening right behind us right now. Um, don't know exactly what is happening, what is going on, but Lord, we pray that you will be with us and um, be with the gentleman that is, that is in need of your help right now. Lord, we pray that uh, those that can help, the emergency lines can, can get here and take care of what needs to be taken care of. Lord, we ask that you will watch over and, and take care of them. 
as best that we can today. Father God, we pray just, just for you to watch and put a healing hand. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Um, once a month at Family Bible, we come together for communion. Unlike baptism, which is intended to be a one-time thing, uh, communion is, is something that's observed over and over in the life of a Christian. It's a holy time of worship when we corporately come together as a body and we remember what Christ did for us. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 23 through 29. For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup in the Lord is an unworthy, in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now we don't always hear uh, the end of that or remember the end of that passage, but this is an event that's to be seen as a holy time of worship. This is the Lord's table, it's not family Bible's table. And while all of God's ch children are welcome at this table, it's not to be taken lightly. His body and his blood are intended for those that intend to spend eternity with him. So as Jacob and Kirk uh, serve you guys today, take part on your own time. May we have a prayer for the bread and the cup. Okay, let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we just uh, come to you now um, just in awe of who you are. Um, I just thank you for each person here, Lord. Um, thank you that we can come together and worship you. Um, pray that you just speak to us this morning what you have for us to hear. I uh, pray for the, the man in the back, Lord, that you would just uh, please be with him and um, put your healing hand on him, Lord. And most of all, thank you for your son Jesus and sending him to die in our place, Lord, and that his uh, blood was shed and his body is broken so that we can... Um, be free to live with you, Jesus. Um, in your name I pray, amen.